Hi everyone, this is the Hope Talk of the Week, and we're here on Wednesday recording this. Alice is going to be speaking from John. Before she does that, two things to share and to mention. Firstly, um, 25th of July is our Mm, kind of first gathering of us all back together as a church, and we're going to be at uh, Sinus and Annie's uh, farm, a major green farm in Hewish, 11 o'clock on that Sunday, the 25th of July. Uh, Baptisms in their hot tub. Yeah. Bring a picnic um, so we can stay around for lunch afterwards. And we're seeing that as our first time to all get together again as a church. We've been doing this every year, and well, apart from 2020, of course, for the last, <laughs> I don't know, 10 years or so, yeah. uh, these summer baptisms, and they're a lovely occasion. Yeah. So uh, do put that in the diary. We'd love to see you. Um, and then you, you probably heard already we've been making plans to regather uh, again in the building, in, in the building from in, in September. Yeah. Uh, things are working out. So that's the first thing. And the second one is to update you on Guy and Tanya. Mm-hmm. So Guy, Guy West has uh, kidney cancer and uh, very severe. And he is starting chemotherapy tomorrow. So that is uh, Thursday the, what's the date today? That'll be Thursday the 8th of July. Yeah. So um, it'd be great to continue to pray for him. We're, we're, we're continuing to pray. We're asking God for healing for yeah. him. And um, Tanya just summarized kind of where they're at and where she's She's out where they're both at, really, and from a faith position, mm. looking at Daniel uh, in the Old Testament. Um, so Daniel chapter 3 talks about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were mm. thrown into this fiery furnace, into, a, into a, um, an inferno uh, to be executed, basically, because they didn't worship um, the gods of, that they were being called to worship. They said, we'd only worship the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, who's our God today. Um, and, um, and, and they basically said... Uh, uh, you can throw us into the fire. We might die, or we might, or God might save us from the fire. Whichever happens, we'll only worship our God. Yeah. And uh, and time is saying the same thing. That really resonates for them. You know, uh, we're praying for full healing. We're praying that Guy is delivered from the fire. Yeah. And um, and expect that he will um, receive many more years of of, of life. Mm. But even if he doesn't, we still worship the Lord. Yeah. So we're just trying to pray for them now. Lord, thank you for Guy and Tanya and their mm. family, and we bless them in Jesus' name. We ask you uh, for the complete healing yeah, from, from Guy, from this cancer. Yeah. In Jesus' name, may you be completely delivered from it, completely healed, mm. and, uh, and, uh, and have many, many more fruitful years yeah. uh, ahead of him on earth. Uh, but also, um, we just say that we trust you, yeah. and we know that you're good. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, ask for your blessing and carrying, mm. particularly as they go into chemo season starting tomorrow mm-hmm. bless them and, and cover them uh, lord with your spirit thank you for the encouragements that they've been to them as a family yeah in jesus name mm-hmm. amen great so you're going to hand over to alice now we're in this series on john and we're looking at who is jesus mm-hmm. um, in the gospel of john one of the four biographies of jesus in the new testament mm-hmm. and it's uh, joseph spoke last last week about encounters with jesus and we're really just coming back to uh the what you know, the heart of life, and, and, and what it what it is to be a Christian mm. uh, is this the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So as Alice, as Alice speaks to us now, Lord, we're hungry mm. to connect with you, to hear from you. We pray you feed us, you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's fantastic to be here. It's really exciting. I had a really positive experience just now. I went into the ladies' loos, and they are incredible, and. The other thing I've noticed in the building is water damage in in the building, which is what has triggered our roof project. 
and what is so exciting about both those things, and they actually speak into, in a metaphorical way, part of the message today, is in some ways the loos were one of the weakest parts of the building, and they are now definitely, if not the strongest, the best part. I literally just wanted to be in there. There are plants. It's just incredible, like the taps. Really exciting. And then what we're really excited about looking at the water damage inside the building is thinking it's been dealt with at the source. It's been absolutely dealt with at the source. Yes, they'll need restoration work inside, but the problem that has caused the damage is being dealt with at the source. So thank you so much for everyone's incredible generosity, creativity from Bethy Tricks giving ideas and, and her gifts to the ladies, Liz and Jason, all that work and everyone's incredible generosity for the roof. And that really, that tension between weakness and strength is what I have really reflected on as I've had the privilege of looking at John for this talk. And I'm really, really grateful for it, actually, just being given a talk to say, what is your reflection about the person of Jesus as revealed in the Gospel of John? And it is this, there are two narratives in our lives that there is the the narrative of weakness, isn't there, where things are hard and difficult. And then there's that underlying narrative of strength as we put our, our confidence in the goodness of God and that God turns our weaknesses into strengths and he deals with the problem, the sin at the source. And the rest of our life is about restoring the, the outworking of that sin. But the actual sin itself has been fully dealt with in the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Such good news. And so I really recommend this, actually. I found I I wanted to immerse in the Gospel of John when I was asked to give this talk on John. And I found the Visual Bible online, which some of you may have come across. um, Joseph, wonderful talk last week. I really recommend it. He recommended The Chosen, which is really good stuff as well online. There's also Bible Project that does videos and they do a video of the literary structure of John which is great in their read scripture series and then Nick Crawley close to our heart here Silas's brother has done Bible for Life on every book in the Bible so you can go there and literally have a free online commentary on the gospel of John so there's lots of resources out there and I really enjoy the visual Bible because it's literally the words in translation of the gospel of John it takes about three hours and so you can break it up and you can just sit through it like a Marvel movie, three hours, or you can do two, one and a half hours, four, 45 minutes, and you, and you just literally get all the words. Now, it's intense for us watching biblical dramas because we don't dress in sackcloths and we don't have Roman soldiers walking around, and it is a bit strange. So there is a countercultural step we have to make. But that said, there's something incredibly powerful about watching the whole gospel in words, and I think they've done the visual Bible, have done it in uh, for the other gospels as well, which is really exciting. Anyway, so as I was immersing myself and just watching it, like every word that the narrator speaks, John the writer, and also Jesus speaks and the others speak, what really came across to me, if you like, this is the this is the sh- the narrative that that feels like it shouts the loudest. Remember that tension between weakness and strength. This feels. Um, like the one that I really saw, which I'd never seen before, was just the relentless opposition to the person of Jesus. The, the whole Hebrew Bible has been moving towards this person, this need, this true and new human 
this Mashiach, this Messiah, this anointed one. In the first century, the Jewish community were there, they were ready, they were immersed in the scriptures, and they were all in agreement. The Hebrew Bible is pointing towards someone who will come, who will be a true human at last. And then Jesus comes, he repeatedly, in the way they understand, which is harder for us to understand cross-culturally, in the way they understood, said, I am that person. And many thousands followed him, but there was a core group of people who just relentlessly wanted to kill him. I was shocked. I, I sort of thought, yes, the Gospels, there's a season of popularity in Galilee, Matthew, Mark, Luke kind of emphasised that. But John is really about a relentless oppos- opposition, like labour pains climaxing in his crucifixion at the end, actually, of awful narratives, and then his vindication and his physical material resurrection from the dead. And it's just time after time, people, normal people, sometimes it's leaders, sometimes it's other groups of people, they just get up stones, they want to kill him relentlessly for blasphemy, because he's claiming to be this Messiah. And one of the great, genuine ironies of all literature, particularly ancient literature, is what was written on the cross above him, the king of the Jews, because the people at the time thought it was his claim those who didn't believe and want him executed. But we know he actually was. The the narrator has put some full-scale irony there. He actually was the king of the Jews, and he was ironically crucified for the very thing he actually was. But he was crucified on account of blasphemy because the, the group of people at the time didn't believe that was true. And it is a shouty, loud narrative of hatred, envy, jealousy towards him, culminating in his crucifixion. I hadn't seen that before I just sat through a a, a watching of of just the words that John gives in his gospel. And what's really interesting about John's scroll, there are four accounts of Jesus's life. Um, Most of them are probably written in the mid-first century, but John is written right at the end of his life. He's a close friend of Jesus, one of his best friends. He was called when he was very young, probably a teenager. He saw his older brother, who he kind of loved and revered, James, as one of the first of the 12 Jesus called to be executed for following Jesus under King Herod. And he saw all the other 10 who he was called to follow Jesus with killed for following Jesus. Judas tragically took his own life and many other people. And he's still in the game in his 90s. And I love reading what people right when they have been through all of that and they're in a sense on their deathbed in the 90s it's highly likely he wrote the gospel it's highly he, he probably wrote one two three john i think as well he, he was the john who wrote revelation for reasons i'll explain although we're not sure who which john wrote revelation but that said it is, it is gripping to read what someone who's been through all of that would write about who they think Jesus is. And in fact, at the end of his scroll, he very clearly says, this is why I'm writing it. This is very sophisticated literature that's been organised with one main point. He says it clearly and explicitly, the end of John. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. It is polemical. It is persuasive. It is clear. It is sophisticated. And it's organised. He is writing for a very, very clear reason. He wants everyone to actually get that Jesus really was who he said he was. 
He really is the longing and the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible and actually the longing and the fulfillment of the human condition. He really is the anointed one, the Messiah, Yahweh come in human form. And so he does a number of things which to a Jewish readership would be absolutely um, compelling if they believed and highly controversial if they didn't. He doesn't, he organizes the material into a number of different sevens. Seven is completion in Jewish thinking. So the first that people call it the seven witnesses, the seven words, and the seven wonders. There are other sevens as well. So the seven witnesses to Jesus actually being the son of God in, in the gospel, John the Baptist acknowledges he is. Nathaniel, one of his followers, declares he is. Peter declares he is. Martha declares that Jesus is the son of God. Thomas declares Jesus is the son of God. John, who writes the gospel, declares it, and Jesus himself declares it. The the perfect, the complete, the seven witnesses. Jesus is the son of God. In the first chapter, there are seven titles given to Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Rabbi. He's the King of Israel. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man. These are clear titles assigning this particular person with the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible and the longing of the human condition. And then Jesus himself declares seven I ams, ego eimi, which famously connects with the, the, the Jewish word Yahweh, the, the full covenantal presence and personal intimate name of God. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And all of those are messianic statements They're wonderful to us to think of him as bread, but to a Jewish community, he's saying, I'm the true manna that came from heaven and sustained, sustained you in the wilderness of this life. I am the bread that comes from heaven. He, he is fulfilling specific details about what a Jewish community would, worth waiting for and seeking in in their Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all those things. And and as if to emphasize the point, another seven I am's are attributed to him. Just simply words like to the woman at the well, I am he. Or when he's walking on water, I am, don't be afraid. To people who are opposing him, if you do not believe, I am he, I am he. Before Abraham was born, I am. And then to his disciples, when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. And then finally, the seventh is a triple in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to suffer unjustly, be executed for being actually who he actually was. And three times he says in the Garden, in John's Gospel, I am he, I am he, I told you that I am he. So he himself declares, the Gospel author declares, a number of witnesses declare clearly they believe that he is the Jewish Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the longing of all our hearts. And then there are seven signs, seven wonders, very, very specifically, strategically showing his complete, not only his full humanity, but also his full divinity, but also that that divinity was totally in keeping with the messianic promises about what the Messiah would be like, particularly from prophets like Isaiah. The wedding of Cana, turning water into wine, a messianic banquet is promised when the Messiah comes. 
He heals an official son in Capernaum. It's a distant healing of a son of noble birth. The, the humanity, if you like, made in the image of God, we're of noble birth, but we need a fundamental restoration. And he delivers that. Healing at the pool for 38 years, a man has not been able to walk. And Isaiah prophesies that those who can't walk will be able to walk and run when the Messiah comes. And this man is fully and completely restored. Feeding of the 5,000, um, again, backing up that, that declaration, he is the bread of life. He, showed, he, he expands physical bread to feed thousands and thousands of people within such an overflow that it starts with more left over than they began with five loaves and two fish and end with 12 baskets full of left over. He walks on water to the Jewish mindset. The water, the chaos waters of Genesis 1 are, are what God easily overcomes by forming dry land suitable for human flourishing. He splits the waters um, when he delivers Israelites from slavery into, into freedom as a new nation. And when you see anything to do with conquering waters, the, the writer is saying, and Jesus is saying, I am that, I am Yahweh. I am the one who splits the sea. I am the one who overcomes the watery abyss of Genesis 1 and brings a new creation. And there he is walking on the water towards them. He heals a man born blind, and Isaiah prophesies the blind will see, but he, he hasn't become blind in his life. He's actually been born blind, and he shows that that God can heal just the most most profound and most challenging and complex physiological diagnoses. And finally, to cap it all, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And this isn't a normal resurrection. He actually is dead for four days, which in Jewish thinking he's really died. This isn't a resuscitation. This is death wrapped up in a grave clothes in a tomb. And he, with a word, he calls him back to life. So Jesus reveals himself through these seven signs, not just as a, a, as a wonderful prophet in, in keeping with some of the, those prophets like Elisha and Elijah who could perform, in fact, seven and 14 signs in the Hebrew Bible. But he is showing himself through these signs. And John is showing that Jesus is the Messiah, fully human and fully divine. So we can see that John really carefully uh, organizes his material to back up this claim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, in a, in a context of, of, of people, of Jewish community, wanting to know, maybe, maybe wanting, wrestling, is this the Messiah or not by the end of the first century? But also in Greco-Roman culture, John's now located in Ephesus, Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. You know, the, the, really, the cru- crucified Messiah, what Jewish man would actually be the one who really has overcome death and is inaugurating a whole new way to be human, the new creation, newness of life. Is that, is that really the case? So for, for a Greco-Roman audience and a Jewish audience, he's writing this very clear, persuasive scroll. Jesus really is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. But as I said, it, when I when I was actually watched the visual Bible and watched the whole gospel, I noticed two dynamics going on, which, which I found absolutely fascinating. And, and I think is really pertinent to an aspect of what it is to believe and, and live the life of faith that John's inviting us into. And, and as I said, there's this dominant narrative 
that's very shouty and oppositional and loud. And it's essentially a resistance to and an opposition to Jesus until he's crucified. And then he's fully vindicated in his resurrection from the dead. But underneath that loud narrative is a very quiet, assertive, confident narrative, which, which is utterly convincing. Because often it's the loud voices that are the most insecure and defensive. And I certainly know in my life, the louder I get, the more I'm actually not sure that I believe, really believe what I'm saying. And so all the loud voices in our lives and in culture are often the most vulnerable and the most insecure. It's the quiet, assertive, confident voices that are the ones that, that are almost the most trustworthy because they're so fundamentally secure and assured in what they believe. And if you look underneath at another narrative in John, you see a narrative of abundance, a narrative of superlatives. And that's why this talk is called The Infinite Resources of God and Jesus. You see words, and I'm going to read some of the phrases, and I want us to immerse ourselves in these, that really just, just lay all worries to rest, just quieten all anxieties. That, that heal all those wounds, that, that stop the problem at the source and just say, God really is infinite. He is infinitely Trinitarian. He really has revealed himself in the person of the Father, Son and the Spirit. And there are infinite resources available. Where we come to the end of ourselves, he's just beginning. Where we hear the loud voices and think they're true or real, he reassures us that his truth and reality is the rock upon which we stand. And if you go back to those seven signs, they're all signs and miracles that are abundant. They're excessive. They're above and beyond what's needed. He waits for Lazarus not just to die, but to die for four days and raises him from the dead. The wedding of Cana isn't isn't just any old uh, water turned into any old wine to get the wedding feast through to stop the shame and the, and the lack of dignity that would have come upon the bridal party, but it's the best wine until last. When most people would have been drinking so much, they might not even notice. There's an excess and abundance. He heals an official son from distance, not close up, just speaks the word and he's healed. It's, it's, it's euphoric in the ease of the infinite resources of Christ. He's 38 years this man has, has not been able to walk, and one day he just walks. The man is born blind, and, and he's healed completely from that. He walks on the chaos waters of death with ease and competence. And it just feels like John is saying, yes, there is opposition which were labour pains to his crucifixion and resurrection. But actually what we thought was a crucifixion, and awful gospel writers say this, was in fact his enthronement to establish up there, he was enthroned on the cross. He is the king under whose kingdom, which has limitless resources, all healing and restoration flows. And you suddenly, I suddenly see, gosh, there's words of abundance and excess and above and beyond all the way through John. He is not, he is writing a narrative of opposition and loud and, and, and courageous kind of moments between Jesus claiming, saying, I am the Messiah and, and that being fundamentally resisted. But he's also speaking another confident, assured narrative that Jesus really is who he says he was in this use of superlatives that you, you almost have to pay attention to to see that go all the way through. And this shows that this isn't a triumphalist writing by someone who isn't really convinced Jesus is the son of God. This isn't insecure or defensive. This is someone who's utterly convinced. 
Jesus really is the son of God. He's seen, he's been to hell and back. He's seen suffering like none of us would have experienced, but he's come to the end of his life, 70 years on, he's in his nineties and he's like, he really is the son of God. He really is the one who's turned the world upside down the right way up. His crucifixion and resurrection really did inaugurate new creation. And you feel that in the language he uses, not just the seven I am's, the, the seven I am's Jesus himself says, the seven declarations of who Jesus is, the witnesses, the seven wonders, in that, that, that artistry, but in literally the use of words all the way through the Gospel of John. So I'm just going to read some now, and I want you to use this as me as well as a meditation, as a reflection on the infinite resources of God and the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as revealed in John's Gospel about the person of Jesus. Just hear these words. And I couldn't, there wasn't enough time. I can't do them justice. So some of them are repeated at least more than once. I noticed that there's a lot of repetition as well to say this really is true. He really is above and beyond our wildest dreams. So reflecting on Rosh, what Rosh spoke of at the very beginning, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. There's so many words about fullness. The next one, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The law was given, the Torah, the instruction through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He speaks to Nathaniel, you believe because I told I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these. There is always more. Very famously, John 3.16, to a rabbi called Nicodemus who was seeking him out at night. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, it's expansive, it's generous, will not die, but have eternal life. And this life, that we hear that phrase eternal life, and it's, it, it can become religious if we've never really heard it. What on earth does that mean? Is that something kind of slightly esoteric and ghost-like on a cloud after we die? But it's a robust Zoe, which is the Greek word for it, resurrection, truly human life, where everything we say and do and are is fully alive, fully restored, solid, compared to the insubstantiality of temporal existence and disconnection from God. And then again, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. This is Jesus. He speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. There is no limit to the spirit God gives to the one who speaks his word, Jesus, and all his followers. The father loves the sons and has placed everything in the father's hands. He doesn't withhold in any way. There's no withholding in the Trinity and there's no withholding through the Trinity. Again, to the woman at the well, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Not you might not thirst for a bit, you will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We become wells of water for other people. There's just an unlimited resource there in connection with Jesus in the Trinitarian God. And um, Jesus says, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. We never need to be worried or concerned that he's moving off or he's disinterested or withholding. He's constantly working. And then again, he says, for the father loves the son and shows him all he does. So the father is generous to the son. As a human, he shows him everything. Yes, and he will show you even greater works than these. So you will be amazed. There's always more that Jesus is going to show. And then we'll see 
there's more us also that we are going to show about what God's like. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Again, the superabundance of resource, the excess, the overflow in the kingdom. The spirit gives life. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. They're not half-hearted or a bed of spirit and life. They're just overflowing with spirit and life. You have the words of eternal life. Peter says that when people are leaving Jesus. Where can we go? You have life. You are robust, resilient, overflowing, super abundant life in human form. Where else can we go? Let, and Jesus stands up in the middle of a feast where people would have been drinking a lot. And he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, and he builds on what he's already said to the woman at the well, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There will just be power coming out of believers. That superabundance of heaven in the Father, Son and Spirit is now being released to anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, He talks about slaves not being free, but when the son sets you free, you are free indeed. A son belongs in the family forever. Just incredible generosity and sharing. And very famously, John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it in abundance. When he talks about um, the rooms and the spaces that we're going to experience in the new creation, my father's house has many rooms, there's enough for everyone. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater work. So his followers will move from having streams to having rivers to doing even greater work than Jesus does because he's going to the Father and he's going to bring the spirit and that spirit will be those rivers gushing out to us. And then incredible promises. These are the last teachings. He knows he's going to suffer tremendously. And emotionally, physically, mentally, he's going to suffer in every way. And yet he just still contends to speak incredible words of life and comfort and assurance to us. In John 13 to 17, incredible discourse before before his trials and his crucifixion. He Again and again, he gives us a blank check. I will ask, I will do whatever you ask in my name. You ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. The shift is not just the infinite resources of God in the person of Jesus, but now through Jesus, the infinite resources of the believer filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, in John 15, very famously, when he talks about Aaron the vine, he's using a lot of superlatives and words of excess, even more fruitful, much fruit, much fruit. Again, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete, that completion that he is, his, the, those sevenfold witnesses of completion in Jewish thinking. He's saying to us, he wants that completion in us, our joy to be complete. Not just a little bit of joy now and again, but a completion of joy. All that belongs to the Father is mine. They, they, they're just sharing amongst each other. And then he says in, that he wants his followers to have the full measure of my joy within them. Father's joy shared with the Son, the Son's joy by the power of the Holy Spirit shared with anyone who believes. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that they love you. The love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. That final fullness of God's love is as in the person Jesus indwelling in us by the Spirit. Just, I mean, it's just, I could go on and on. There's just this incredible narrative, as I say, a quiet, 
confident, assured narrative under all the battles that you see in the text between Jesus claiming he's Messiah and people resisting that. Underneath it all, there's this other narrative, and it's a narrative of confident, quiet assurance in the infinite resources of God in Jesus. So I don't know um, where you feel weak. I feel weak in certain areas every single day. I feel weak in parenting. I feel weak in leading hope. Those are two areas that spring to mind. Some of you may feel weak in your health and your body. It feels weak. Some people maybe feel weak in the area of finances. Some people may feel weak in the area of mental health. There are all sorts of areas where we just feel weak. And what is so encouraging and reassuring about this is that's the place where the infinite resources begin. That's the place where we come to the end of ourselves. And Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the place where we give him our toilets and he does them up to be the best room in the house. Those very areas of weakness become our very areas where we are conduits of the strength and the power and the infinite resource and the superabundance of God. So I just I just want to encourage you with that that blessing Jesus says actually at the beginning of Matthew, blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Bring those areas of poverty and need and weakness to him. Yes, pay attention, there is a loud shouty narrative of opposition and it's painful and I'm not saying we don't deny that. That was the reality of Jesus. He was incredibly courageous to declare he was the Messiah. He just didn't look like what people wanted him to look like. That happens in all cultures, all times, in all places. We want a creative solution to a problem. But when that creative solution looks different to what we thought it would look like and maybe comes from somewhere else than we thought it would come to, envy and hatred and anger is stirred up in us rather than gratitude that the solution has come. And that's what happened with Jesus. And we need to pay attention to those painful narratives of opposition in our lives. I'm not in any way saying we deny it. It was what got Jesus killed. Absolutely. But we also, the life of faith, when he says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the son of God and by believing you may have life in his name. The life of faith is the one that hears that, pays attention to it, absolutely acknowledges those emotions, but then goes to that quieter, more confident, more assertive narrative of the superabundant resources and the infinite love of the Trinitarian God is revealed in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit underneath the surface. The life of faith is saying that is more true and more real than all the loud, shouty, narratives, oppositional narratives above all the areas where we feel so weak that are more superficial and more on the surface. If we go deeper, we go to a place of quiet, confident assurance, not not of ourselves, but of him and who he is and what he's done. And that's where we access the fullness of life in his name. Thank you, Alice. Love that. I love that. And uh, reminds me of a friend of ours uh, been going through a really challenging time. And they sent a message to a very famous Christian leader who's seen hundreds, probably probably actually thousands of extraordinary miracles that have been medically proven, you know, sort of miracles you can't deny. And, um, and so when you're going through hard times, do you feel like giving up? And the person replied saying, every day. And I think that that, um, I find that response really encouraging. <laughs> and I think that speaks to some of what Alice is saying, this, uh, this tension of um, the weakness uh, and then the truths of, of God. And, uh, and I, I love that, that, that verse that says, where Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And we have that choice every day. 
And uh, I don't know where you are in terms of your walk with Jesus, whether you uh, are a Christian, whether you've given your life to Jesus or, uh, or not. Um, but uh, the same is true for, for, for all of us. And, and the journey of following Jesus is continuing to put our trust in him and our confidence in him, continuing. And the, and the wonderful thing is that the more we discover it works and that he's real and that his promises actually are, we can build a house on them, the more confident we get. And, and that's exciting. I think it'd be great just to respond to what Alice has brought by praying, and um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead us in a prayer where um, we acknowledge uh, our place of weakness and, and challenge and trial, and but then but then where we step into um, that position of faith. So I encourage you in your heart and your spirit um, to 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 be aware of those weak places and where we have the choice actually thinking you know God's not real. That's my conclusion off the back of this. Um, uh, we have a we have a choice, or we can step into the way of faith, which says, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that your your truth, your promises, your words, Jesus, are are, are bigger than the, than the complexity and the, the hardship that I that I face. So I'm leading in that prayer now. Uh, so Father, we just uh, come before you and we acknowledge uh, uh, the, the weakness of our of our life, the challenges that we find ourselves in. And you'll have different things in mind there as we do that. And we say, and yet we believe uh, in the bigger story, in the foundational truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived and died and rose from the dead and, and, is, and we can build our life on you. So we, we step into, we step over the threshold into that place of faith and trust. We believe that you're good. We believe that you're for us. We believe that when we ask, we'll receive. We believe that, uh, as, as Tanya and Guy said at the beginning, uh, that, that, that you're good. We can, we can go into the fire, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel 3, uh, in confidence in your goodness. Thank you. We trust you. Amen.